This is an oral history interview with Betty Meyer for the Robert J. Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas. We're in Betty's home in Lima, Ohio, and today is Sunday, November 27th, the 25th, 2007, and I'm Brian Williams. Betty, describe your first meeting with Senator Dole. How did that go, and what was the occasion? I guess that would be my interview for being hired, <clears throat> and... I guess it went very well. He was explaining to me what was he was looking for, actually. I was hired originally as a legislative correspondent, and I had no previous political background of any kind. But anyway, it, um, it went pretty well, very well, yeah. since I was hired. So anyway, I won't go into the rest of that. <laughs> you won't? Oh, do you want me to? Sure. Oh. That was a good story. Oh, okay. Well, uh Anyway, during the course of the interview, he was uh, telling me about the hours, and he said, usually, we try to remember everyone has their personal life, but sometimes the hours are kind of long. He said, of course, I work seven days a week. And my response was, of course, you make a lot more money, too. And after this look on his face, it was like, huh? And they looked and got this grin and said, I guess that's true. <laughs> Shortly after that, the interview ended, and I was hired. So, and uh, he was, how did you how did you know of the opening? I went to um, actually it was uh, employment agency on the house side, and I had three different interviews. When the other one was supposed to be Len Jordan of Idaho, and I never did make that one. So, what year was this? It was. Um, I started there in May, beginning of May of 1970. So, <clears throat> Bob Dole was already a senator. He was, by that yeah, point. because January he took he moved from the House to Senate. Mm -hmm. So that was his first. So, uh, where was his office? Where where did you work at that time? We were in the Dirksen Building. It was three, Suite 237, I think. And talk about the how many people worked in that office and how did it operate and so forth. We had, let's see, Bill Katz was the AA and Joanne Coe was the office manager. Um, at the time, Judy Harbaugh was his personal secretary, and there were two backup secretaries. I think we had about, we had about an ag LA, and we had, I think there were five legislative assistants. And uh, a couple research assistants, and a couple of, uh, I think there were two people answering legislative mail. And uh, I'm trying to remember those. Right, right. But I think it was about two people on the legislative mail, and then <clears throat> the legislative assistants would draft some of theirs. Mm -hmm. But I think there's probably about, I think they had like, around 18 people at the time, 17 or 18. And <clears throat> what was the office like? Was it very hard-working, very serious, or did you have playful times, or just sort of well, the mood of the place? We were always busy, but there was always, I mean, as, I mean everyone, I think, had a sense of humor. And uh, when I started as a legislative assistant, I guess the first week, though, Remember, Senator came. I called. I was called up to his office, and I was working way in back. And he 
want to dictate a couple of letters. And I remember asking Judy Harbaugh if he went very fast. And she's, no, don't worry about it. When I went in and sat down, I hadn't sat, I wasn't even seated. And he started chugging away with this one. And the phone rang and he had to pick it up. And by that time I was ready. And I sat and put that down. And he whipped through those and I got him down. About six short letters. And he went over to vote. And he was gone away, came back, and he said, came back, he said, uh, how are you doing? Need some help on those? And I said, no, I'm finishing the last one. Said, oh. <laughs> so I guess that kind of, uh, he thought he was going to catch me, but uh, he didn't. So I think after that, next week he moved me up to uh, second backup secretary, and then two weeks later I was moved into the first backup secretary spot. And then in... January, when he became national chairman, he moved me into the, the Judy spot as personal secretary back then. So and I'd what, forgotten. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> what was your role vis-a-vis Joanne Coe's role? Well, she was office manager, and I was, uh, well, like I said, personal secretary. I did scheduling and appointments and uh, some, like his personal in some of the office, I wrote the checks and most of that and took care of his personal expenses and then a lot of the personal issues of the thing from sometimes communicating with his family and stuff. So, so you were on a real fast track. I guess it was kind of. A and you say you, you were... Judy Harbaugh. You replaced her in yes, that role? Yes. And where did she go? With this? She went over and took that spot at the Republican National Committee. That's why I always figured it would be two years and then I'd either take it, she'd come back. And I said, I remember at the time, I said, I said, well, is there something else here? Will you help me get a job? He said, for what? And I said, well, Judy, he said, no, that's your job. So I end up, and then, so how, Judy how, and I became good friends. <laughs> How did the dynamics work? Uh, would Senator Dole come in in the morning and go directly to his office and he'd sort of be in there, like, not seen very much? Or was he in and out and talking to you? And how did well, that work? Well, usually when he came in in the first uh, few years, he always liked to have some music. So he always put on a records. And he'd usually like light popular. And he'd want his coffee and his music. And he'd, you know, go over mail and stuff he'd need to look at and read the paper, and he'd skim that if somebody hadn't clipped it. And then he'd be through the office, so he'd go back and think, you know, how are you doing? What's happening? You know, what's going on out there? Kind of thing, the typical. And he'd go through the office quite a bit to, uh, and, you know, talk to people. He didn't hide out in the office, definitely. Where was the phonograph? <laughs> In his office, there was a long, like a long wide table, almost like a small conference table. And that was on there, along with his elephant collection. He had many elephants. People sent him, and, uh, oh, I meant there were probably 50 elephants. And not a donkey among them. No, no. <laughs> but he'd always have it, that collection. That had to be moved along with him for the first move we made. <clears throat> And, and so would someone go in and change records, or did he pretty much do that oh, himself? Oh, they would play, you know, usually you had the um, records, so you could put, I think it, there were five or six that you could put on and stack them, so 
it would run for a while. By that time, meetings would start. Sometimes it'd have to be turned down or turned off. So, but that I think it got him started in the morning. <clears throat> Do you remember times when uh, something didn't go quite the way he wanted it to, and uh, he expressed himself? And can you talk <laughs> about that for a moment? Yes, I guess there were quite a few times. <laughs> um, one of his, he was occasionally he was upset, or if he wondered. Wasn't sure who did what. One of his was. Now, what idiot did that? <laughs> Occasionally, as I told him once or twice, I'm looking at him. And <laughs> when he'd do something and forget he didn't do it, I, what idiot? I'm looking at him. <laughs> and it was, but he would, you know, and then he'd be over it, though, if he was saying something, you know, upset, will you tell him this happened? Well, you know, okay, well. I don't like that. I want it changed, and he would let people know, but he he didn't hold it for forever. Did you have to go through a sort of period of adjustment where you knew that you could sort of sass him back and get away with it, or did you just instinctively know <laughs> no, that from the start? I think we started. I think our my initial interview, because he was always. I mean, the two of us could seem to feed off each other and nobody else there were times very early on one of us would start to say something maybe if there was a meeting or something with staff and the other one would start to laugh and everybody's you know what's going on it was like you were on the same wavelength and I think that's it's kind of and I think I'd learned many early on many years before that sometimes you know you get further than that than being kowtow, being kowtowing to someone, and so, and I mean, I admired him and I liked him, and he knew that. I mean, he knew I thought he was a great guy, but that doesn't mean you don't disagree. Did so. he? Was it ever an occasion where he'd call you into his office, close the door, and sort of unload or express his frustrations? Or I guess, or once in a while, but not that often. But I mean, usually, if it was really during some bad times, I know one of the times he was really worried for his 60th birthday. For him, that was a milestone that he was very stressed on. We used to get these funny birthday cards, one funny one for him about age. And that year, I said, nothing, nothing with a reference to an age on here. There, <laughs> and I, you know, I kept he kept worrying. We went. I was in one time. And he said, "Betty, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm really getting old." And I said, "You are not." Yes, I am. I said, "You're not either." I said, "You run rings around these some of these twenty year olds." I said, "Get off that." You know, <laughs> it was, and so for his birthday, we had nothing that referenced age. But I mean, that was. The only time he ever was worried about age, and it just somehow had him very stressed. Can you think of other times when he was pretty you know, stressed? Well, yeah, there were times during campaigns when um, it was very stressful, and I must say, after his divorce, we had some problems because he, that was 74 campaign, I guess. He was hesitant to go back to Kansas very often. It was like, you know, a little kid, what are people going to think of me? <clears throat> and we had some real go-rounds on that. 
<clears throat> and I would yeah, kind of tell him, you got to get out there. And he, well, I'm not going to win anyway. I said, you're not going to win. Well, and I got, you know, Dave Owen, Bill Wilford, they're out there. I said, they don't care. Nobody cares about them. They care about you. And if you don't get out there, everybody in the world, the president can't win it for you. And well, but, and I said, you just need to go out there. And I was, we had some little shouting matches over that a few times. And I, other people were trying to tell him, but I went, it was in there, just, you know, you got to do it, period. And <clears throat> one incident, though, when he was finally going out there, and he was going to be in Russell. So, and he had told me to call his mother and tell her he'd be out there that night. And I said, I know he felt really funny. He hadn't been back to see his family after the divorce. And I said, you know, he said, well, just tell her I'll be out there tonight. So when he left, I called, and his mother said, no. She was obviously hurt, too, because he hadn't called to tell her. I mean, he was busy, and usually I could call. But, And she said, well, I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to, you know, I'll fix whatever's here for dinner, and I'm not going to worry about it. And I thought, because he, he hasn't been out here. For, and I decided that I know what's happening. He doesn't know how to handle it. And she's kind of hurt because he hadn't been there. So I said, Miss Stone, why don't you make your, what's his favorite is fried chicken, I know. And she said, yeah. And she has mashed potatoes and gravy and what's the other. And, and then Aunt Gladys's homemade ice cream is his favorite. And I said, well, why don't you go? I said, you know what? He's just, he's like a little boy. He's worried about how you're re- going to react. And I said, and I know that's why, you know, it's bothering him. So if you just act normal and have everything, she said, well, I better hurry so I can get all this for dinner and get everything together. And I kept saying, I know I told Joanne Cohen, she said, oh, God, Betty, you would, you know. You would. I said, well, somebody had to do it. If I lose my job, I lose my job. But I think it had to be done. Well, later that night, I got the phone rang. It was Senator. He was giggling like a little child. And then his brother Kenny got in the phone. The two of them were laughing and just, they couldn't talk. They were laughing so hard. And Aunt Gladys and his uncle were there and his parents. And they said they were just having the best time. And then he was telling me what was happening and wanted to know about the next day. But I said, I was so thankful I decided and took it in my own hands to say something because it would not have been, it just wouldn't have worked right the other way. And so, and once I explained to his mother, and I said, you know, it's not you, it's that he doesn't know what to, you know. I said, he's like, he's, you know, six years old again, and you're going to chastise him. So. <laughs> how, how do you imagine his parents heard about the divorce? Did he tell them or not? You know, I honestly don't know. I think, I don't know. I but he he had talked, but he did not really know how to go out and face them. I was like, just weird. <laughs> but I guess it would be out there. And, you know. um, what? Are, how? How was his relations with with Joanne different from yours, or were you? I guess, well, I guess we, Senator and I could always, it was more of a, I don't know, different because I'd, I never took, <laughs> he told somebody, 
Betty lets you know when she's taken enough. She really lets you know when she'll let And I think that's why Joanne wouldn't really disagree with him that strongly. I mean, she just, you know, she didn't. She, but she would never, you know, stand up and say, no, you're wrong. And I've been known to do that more than one occasion. And I used to say, if you don't like it, I'll leave, was my standard answer. And so... And Joanne was, I mean, she was very good. I mean, very efficient. That she, very, very bright. Very, but it was more, um, it was more, I guess, more, I wouldn't say business-like. I mean, it was business-like. But there wasn't, when the sender and I were always joking, teasing, and if he said, he'd say stuff to me that he wouldn't say to anyone else. I guess because he could, like, from at leader's office, a couple of times he'd call him, Say he's headed over there because we got about twenty minutes before the next vote. Because I had all my files in the Hart Building, so I was over there. And says, and Pat Wade said, he said I got time enough to go back and bug Betty for a little bit. I mean, this was kind of the you know one of the things. It was uh, mm -hmm. it was always oh I can go back and bug Betty. <laughs> so, where where <clears throat> do you think you got your political instincts? How did you come by that? Because you said you, when you started the job, you had no legislative experience and whatnot. And no, but I don't know. I mean, with anything, I guess with anything I've done, you go in and uh, figure it out. I go back to was at Westinghouse, and I was like 18 years old. I was bored with a simple job, and a new purchasing agent came in and asked me to devise some charts and work for him that told everybody from ordering to production and what was going in and out. And I had no idea. I wasn't a math person, but I devised charts every Monday, and I went through, got all my details. And, I mean, I just figured it out and ran with it. In fact, it worked very well. But So I don't know. I guess when I start a job, I just kind of figure out what to do or how to do. And I always... But I worried when I took over Judy's job is that... You know, she's from Russell, she knows all this stuff, and I don't. i got to try to be, you know, try to be halfway as good as Judy. And that was one of my big things that I kept worrying about. And so I guess I worked hard at that. <laughs> but I don't know. It was like the first time I had to schedule, and that the fall after I started there, he went out to Kansas in the last weeks of the election for other, he wasn't running in 72, but um, I remember Judy didn't think I need anything. I said, do I need anything? She said, no, you won't need anything. I've got stuff out there. We called in the next day. I said, Betty, let's see. I want to go. I was down in southern Kansas. I want to go here. I grabbed some. He said, I guess you better write this down. And I said, yeah, I'm grabbing a pen. But he wanted to make was five stops the next day, five or six, and maybe a breakfast here, a little coffee here. And he said, um, uh, so, yeah, you need to go ahead and set that up. And so I thought, well, okay, we had some other stuff about what's going on back there. And I went back to Joanne Coe and said, Joanne, what do I do? She said, what do you mean? She said, he gave you that? Set up? I said, yeah. She said, well, it says call your county chairman. I said, what's that? Well, where's your, don't you have a list? I said, no, Judy didn't think I needed anything. She said, oh, my God. So she grabbed her county chairman list and hand it to me, and I got I had my map out in my home. So I just proceeded to call county chairman and chart the course on with the map and figure out the driving times, all driving. 
and got everything set up, and that was it. It worked out. So <laughs> I was good at judging maps and driving time and stuff, and it was down rural Kansas. So next day, when he called that day, and he was kind of doing, deciding, changing a little bit, one day at a time, or not more than two days, one you know, an extra day ahead. Colin, let's see, I think I want to go here, because he's deciding and here and here and here. And so we got through several weeks of that. And I just, um, I picked it up by doing it, basically. And most of the stuff, it's just, you figure it out and run with it. Boy, how many jobs, how many positions did you have before you came to work with him? And you... Well, I had worked here at Westinghouse years ago. I spent a year in Washington with him. Then I was, um, became, I always wanted to fly, became a stewardess with Eastern Airlines and flew out of Miami. Just getting really beginning to love it, and my father had cancer, so I left, came back home, though the airline Eastern said, we will take you back any time. They had an open my file, and the vice president of passenger service showed it, and he said, because he said, you've got all these good letters in here, we would like to have you back. But the pay was so low back then, and we had a lot of, my father lived about, <clears throat> it was about nine months after that. And then he died. Westinghouse people from the West Coast, I was working for them again back here. They taught me into going out to L.A. So I was out there for a couple of years. And I'm just not an L.A. fan. So I moved back. To, I said, I'm back to the Washington area. That's where I belong. And so I moved back there. Then I went to work for um, Martin Marietta. Out of Baltimore. This was a Washington office for the chairman and president. And I didn't have enough to do, really. And I left that, went into a sales job with, uh, and probably had a uh, um, window fall on me in my apartment in a new building. I had 100 pounds of that and had another whiplash, so I was kind of, couldn't drive too much for a while, so I went to work for this PhD that I was telling you about, who had pioneered in space foods and written books. And then when he was opening a long-term care nursing facility in Maryland, I didn't want to move out there, so I ended up with Bob Dole. That was kind of how I got there. Interesting, interesting. Um, <clears throat> so the first office was the one in Dirksen. Um, how did things change when he became the chairman of the RNC, or did they? Got a lot busier, I can tell you. But... Uh, uh, well, he was over there some, but he was still over in the Senate more than over at the RNC. He spent some time, a lot of it's by phone. Of course, they had, uh, as they put, uh, uh, Bush one and Ann Armstrong were kind of co-chairs at the time. So that took some of the, you know, that helped take some of the pressure off him and the, some of the functions. But... Uh, I would say it just got bit much busier. Of course, there was bigger staff, but he traveled a lot more. And uh, but were there <clears throat> separate offices for the RNC that he went to? Oh yeah, when he'd go over there, it was over. It was you know a couple of blocks away. You know where it is, I'm sure. Don't, yeah, around First know. Street. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and Judy went over there. Yes, she be, she took that job. Um, of course, there was a lot of interaction because you had to coordinate schedules. That, so there was a kind <clears throat> of critical time there where uh, 
President Nixon decided he wanted George Bush to be the head of the RNC rather than yeah, yes, Senator there was. How, do you recall his reaction at that time and, and what that was like? You know, <clears throat> all I can remember is it was the mood wasn't real great. That was the uh, other than that, I'd say that's the best thing because sometimes you were walking on eggs a little bit more or having to yell a little bit more, as the case may be. <clears throat> but I couldn't really, back to that, give real definite. Other than that, I can remember that kind of a, shall we say, he'd get, he could get irritated easily. <laughs> and, uh, were, you, but, were you able to help him through a, a period like that? Or? Uh, yeah, and sometimes, sometimes humor too, do a lot, or just kind of teasing him about some of it. And some, you know, who wants all that? I said, same thing I used to do with the president. You got to be crazy to want to be president. He'd look, well, Betty, that answers that. I'd say, <laughs> and was, I mean, it was kind of, you know, the teasing that, and it would lighten it up. So, <clears throat> and that's. Now, while he was chairman of the RNC, he was doing a lot of traveling. Oh, yes, yes. But that was all arranged by the RNC well, office? Or were you well, involved yeah, in but there were times and times. One time, I remember, you could get plane, you could use corporate planes, I think, heavenly. But I said, I remember one time, they, he had to go out to, uh, the one time was out to Wichita for something, and... Nobody could find a plane. They were trying, so, well, call Betty. She'll take care of it. It was Mike Scanlon and Paul Russo. I remember telling them, she'll, she'll find somebody. Well, finally went to vice president, who, a man who'd been vice president of uh, Martin Marietta, Del Ransel, because I remembered he knew, and we didn't know Harry Combs then of, of uh, Gates Learjet. Senator really didn't know him. And I remember Dell when he was back here. Once we'd had, he looked, he called me. We had dinner, maybe after I'd started working for the center. And I thought, well, I know he mentioned something about knowing Harry Combs. So I called Track Dell, and told him the problem. And he said, let me call Harry and see, you know, if we can get a plane back here. So he called me back a little later. He said they've got planes out and ones down. They could get to St. Louis, but to make the meaning, he said he won't be able to get back to Washington. But he said, I'm arranging because I know somebody in Washington, and he personally paid to charter a plane for the senator. I mean, he was my former boss, but he, had been, he used to be way back in the early days on the CAB when it was the old Civil Air uh, Board. But anyway, so he had paid for that. Uh, charter to uh, St. Louis, and then he got to Harry Gates. They got the Lear out there the rest of the way. But um, sometimes it was, yeah, figure you call Betty. Once they told me one time, he told them to call me, and they were, they were teasing me about it and said, yeah, if you can't, well, call Betty. She'll take care of it. <laughs> but I was, I would, you know, try to remember who did what, and anybody who had a plane was fair game. I mean, that called the head of Beach when he was at the football game and said, can somebody get to him? I need to see if we can get a plane. <laughs> but you did, my feeling was you do what you have to do to get the job done. 
Yeah. You mentioned um, a change of office, so what we, happened? Well, we, well, every so often as senders leave and all, you get options. And I know that uh, <clears throat> first time we were going to leave the, and we are looking, Joanne Coe and I, Ruth Ann, you probably talked to, have you talked to Ruth Ann? Well, she's mm-hmm. there. Uh, she did mail that, but she's, you know, Ruth Ann, she's funny, but she's pretty good sometimes at figuring out the locate, you know, areas. And finally, I was so busy, and they they were looking in the um, Russell building. They said, these are these long offices and all. And I said, Senators would go over and look at them. So I went over and were saying, look, I said, look. They're long, but they're narrow. We're going to have trouble getting, you know, look at this, guys. We can't, I mean, I'll look at a room. I did that in real estate. I'll tell you what you can do with you. And I said, you know, we're going to get less desks in here than we have now. I said, it's a little bit longer, but they're so narrow. So finally we decided, oh, after we started, I said, let's, okay, picture. So we ended up staying in the Dirks, and we just moved to another office, which actually was right, then we were right beside the finance committee which was perfect, and he was finance chairman. So we, and we were there until we moved to the Hart Building, uh, and that was finished. We were one of the first ones. That was in, I swear it was 1980, I think, late 80. And in fact, we, I think there were only about three of them. We were 141 Hart in the first floor. And that was the last office that uh, they were in. So, but that's how, as of senators, you got you know as you got seniority, you got a little bit more choice of offices. When did he get a hideaway, or did he? He got that when um, he became Republican leader. Um. So, what about the relationship between his office in Dirksen and the Finance Committee, and how did oh. that work out? It was like. We had had a door between it would have been right from one to the other. I mean, because that worked out. We were so close. I mean, it was constantly interacting. And that's when Joyce came on board because she was at the White House and Senator said, well, she wanted to get out of there. And she he wanted Joanne and me to have lunch with her. Mm-hmm. We went down to the Senate dining room and had lunch and see what we thought. And we hit it off. Joyce said, and she always said, she said, no, we really hit it off right away. And she came on board as kind of office manager in finance. And so that, you know. And everything meshed harmoniously between the... I mean, sometimes I think the L.A.s would have their little uh, differences on it. But, I mean, that's par for the course. But overall, I said, and I worked, I must say, from my point of view, everybody did. Because, like, Lighthizer, once in a while, Bob and I have... Some similar personalities and some traits, kind of like the sender too. <laughs> and once in a while, Bob and I would have some disagreement. But and if he didn't listen to one, he wasn't allowed to schedule a hearing. And sender said, "Betty will settle him down." But I'd say, "Bob, I told you, and you didn't pay attention." But I mean, we, Bob and I, got along great. And Rod DeArmond, we every, I mean, I think we all got along good. They had their little arguments with some of the LAs, and they had they had to settle those, but. But the people on the finance committee, I, I really like them. Um, what about some of the other people? With I've been asking you about Joanne Coe, but some of the other people <coughs> working in in his own office in, in Dirksen, like who who were they? And well, it's, there were so many of them. 
Well, yeah, and I'm not asking you to do I just said we but, need there. No, but, but some of the outstanding yeah. personalities. Well, I said when I uh, when I started there, let's see, Bill Taggart was, of course, did the ag, he was the ag person, and uh, I mean I knew him. I mean we remained friends with his family. His, his daughters worked there later, and uh, let's see. Well, Bill Katz, of course, was AA. He was a sweetheart. He he died in the that was late seventies. But um, and I'm trying to remember, oh, Marilyn left right after. Shortly, I hadn't been there too long when she left. Allison Smith was there as she was research and helped the LAs. And John Smith from God, I can't try and remember. I mean, and Ward White. You were talking him. You know, Ward White was there for several years. His father was um, his father was an ophthalmologist, and so so Ward had been there for a number of years. As he was legislative assistant, and of course Ruth Ann was there and still there. So, uh, and I'm trying to think of some of the other people, and I remember when. Uh, Jane Hauser, but I mean, the only was she was there uh, doing legislative mail and stuff. But she was uh, Joel Broyhill, Congressman Broyhill's daughter, and she was with us for several years. Very good. And then going down the line, there were so many changes. Um, now I'm trying to think of the name. Morgan Williams, of course, took over the Ag LA spot from Bill Taggart. And then we had, uh, at one point, we had Rich Armitage's AA. That was not the most successful one. Let's, talk, let's pause for a moment and talk about that. Why was that not so successful? Well, he was out of his element. But, I mean, see, he had, um, went to the Naval Academy. I was new. That I'm sure he was fine in the other jobs, but he really did not know in that area. And I said, remember times, there was uh, one time in particular, there was a problem with something happening in the office. I don't recall what. But he was standing there leaning her hands on hips. And the senator, you know, he, he just literally wasn't sure which way. Senator came out, Betty, you better get, do something. So I said, it was just, he just wasn't sure what to do to handle it. I mean, it was he was used to foreign issues and doing that kind of thing in the military, but it was not, it just was not a successful thing for him. And I think he went out the Pentagon, no, he gets back into something that he knows and can deal with. And because not everybody fits every spot. How did he, how did he get hired to that position? You know, I'm trying to remember when all that was going on, and I, can't remember who was AA at the time, and I, I really I cannot remember. Now, all I remember when he was there, and I, oh. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking though, because were, think were you able there. to sort of mediate between him and the senator, or was that not? Uh, no, I mean, I'm going the senator. I mean, they could deal with it, and except if he wasn't, then. I could figure out, you know, do right. something. 
you're brushing against the microphone. I'm sorry. It's all right. Keep my hands down here. <laughs> um, talk about a little bit about the hiring practice, how that, how that went in, in Senator Dole's own office. Uh, it varied. Usually the AA, would, depending on the job, would interview. And it was sometimes if it was uh, more clerical, Joanne would interview, and sometimes she... And, of course, the senator interviewed everyone. He still, he had veto power. So that was always, uh, definitely, he could rule it in or out. So he would see the candidate in the last stage, would that yes, be right? Yeah, you or yeah, Joanne? Usually, would... Yeah, usually at the last stage. Once in a while, during campaign or something, uh, he didn't see too much of it, and... Sometimes it, you know, a few times it didn't work out that well. But um, I think sometimes it was, or he might be swayed a little bit at times and then find out you know, somebody, you're going to have different opinions of people. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you promote some candidates very strongly and were disappointed when he said, when he nixed them? No, I, the only time I was happy when I, uh, I nixed them and thought he was going to hire a couple of them in top spots. And I told him, go ahead. Here's my resignation. <laughs> and that's exactly, I said, because they, they walk in, I walk out. <laughs> I mean, because I, I know there are people I could not work with. I mean, you tell them one of them came in for a top spot. And he had an attitude. And like, you know, and I thought, you know, before we get through with this, Bob Dole's going to be taking orders from him. I mean, it was the attitude like oh, he was going to do this and he was going to decide, oh, I wouldn't get the mail for the center anymore. He would get all that. He'd get this. He'd decide what he should do. He would do all of this, decide where he was going to go. And I could work out the details, but I'd have nothing to do with it. He would, and he would handle it for the senator, really not giving the senator as the options. And I just, wait a minute, this guy's going to take over. Hmm. We're going to have a new senator <laughs> if he comes. But Senator finally, and I said, if you take, he said, I'm not hiring him. I said, okay. <laughs> I mean, it would have been, it was, and I saw enough afterwards, it would have been a disaster. What about the balance between uh, Senator Dole being, as George Bush might say, the decider? Yes. And other people making decisions for him. What, what, how was the balance there? Well, I mean, there were times he would let people and have no problems with it. But uh, it, a lot of it, I would say, sometimes it depended on his mood. That could affect things. Very definitely it did sometimes. And... Uh, at other times, I know when, with myself a couple of times, he'd say, well, why did somebody do that? And you had to have an answer. Somebody had, and I said, I did. Why did I said, we had to have an answer. We could, I couldn't get it, so I made a decision. If it's wrong, at least it's a decision. And I'll say, he never, you know, after that, well, that, yeah, that's probably the right decision. He never, he really never would disagree on it. Cause, and I think with some of the other people, too, with the decision, I mean, if it was a good one, if he thought about it, and you could give the reasons, it would be okay. 
Um, <coughs> was his office one where other senatorial colleagues would sort of drift in and chat on a regular basis, or...? No, it was, I mean, they had a lot of, at least at Finance Committee, they had a lot of meetings, you know, about the Republicans and finance and all, but and now and then they did, but not not where, you know, that isn't Bob Dole, have somebody coming in all the time. Like, you know, they'll, of course, at times, but I'm sure from what I've heard, not seen, but heard a lot of them, some of them come in, just chat and visit with each other, but he would, he'd do a lot of that when he was over on the floor, cloakroom, and there were times, I mean, if there was a small meeting, but the majority of times it was more actual meetings. Do, could you name any mem- colleagues that were sort of his buddies, someone he would sort of hang out with or seek out? Bob Dole's not a hanger out with, though, as you probably figured by now. <coughs> but uh, I think when, when Howard Baker was there, he was a uh, leader, and I know that they, he would spend, you know, talk with him a lot and spend time with him. But, uh, and there's some, but most of it was done in the cloakroom. And related to business, I yeah. get the yeah. sense. I asked you a moment ago about hiring practices. Uh, what about firing practices? How did that go when it happened? Well, sometimes it went quickly. <laughs> Other times, uh, it would actually it would build up for a while. But there were a couple of times when, you know, if something hit him wrong, it could be quick. And there was one case. Can you delete something if you need to? Well, it's hard to do. Okay. Do we want to pause well, and talk about it? Yeah, yeah pa- okay. Yeah, okay. Let me just do it. Um, let's talk about the hours that you and the rest of the staff worked typically. What was that like? Well, <clears throat> some of them at first, I remember, uh, I think when I came, they used to trade off evenings sometimes. And I know that... Uh, First week I was there, I wonder if I could stay a couple of evenings. Can you stay and do like fold mail and stuff? And <clears throat> so I did. And somehow, if the, if there was anything going on the floor, the legislative assistant who was working on it would be there. And <clears throat> sometimes, so if there's a lot going on, several staff people would be there. And it really depended on what was happening. But a lot of times, somehow, I guess because I've been doing a 24-7 on-call job for several years with this Ph.D. I didn't think anything of it because it was normal to be have all hours. I mean, I'd work early, late. And so pretty soon I was there most evenings, and it just became normal. And I came in Saturdays at first every now and then, and then I found out that if I wanted to go over schedule stuff with him, we could avoid that all week somehow. I tried to get, well, I can't, don't have time. So I learned on Saturday I could get some answers. So I started coming in almost every Saturday because that's when I got, you know, I really could get him to sit down and focus. And, uh, but the staff, there were a lot of nights when, you know, a few people would be staying there to uh, finish up. And if the Senate was in late, I would, I'd stay for that. And then, um, Whoever was working on the issues would. I know 
was one time, I think, before the, all you had were the phones and the, um, I don't know what we called them anymore, where you could, uh, the, where you could, we had two in the office where you could listen in to what was going on on the floor. And I think it was one night with something like a sugar issue, it was going on until about 2.30 in the morning. And uh, we saw our L.A.'s, the Ag L.A. was over on the floor, and I was up there, and then there were people who were interested, so I'm uh, putting phones by the speaker things and running to each end of the office to do that until about 2.30 in the morning, and they finally adjourn. And then, of course, you got to be back, and I need to be there to change the schedule at 8.30. So. But it was some crazy hours, but... Most of the time, it was for some of the, you know, the L.A.s, and then I'd be stuck there, or if he was traveling. And there were complications. You didn't have cell phones, and I only had one line at home, so if I needed two lines, I stayed in the office till it was squared away. But And what was your sort of reaction to this? Did you Were there times when you resented this kind of... Uh... Oh, once in a while I'd get frustrated and vent, but then on the other hand, the next time, if it, you know, otherwise, how are you going to do it? So you do it. And, you know, oh, I was probably very vocal if you talk to people sometimes. And But uh, it's, like I say, it always helped to let off steam. My other way of relieving myself was when things got too crazy was pushing my chair back, put a foot against the desk, push the chair back and just sit and laugh. And I said, like interns or somebody would say, thought it was such a bad day and you're laughing. I said, who's going to care if I cry and what good's it going to do? I might as well laugh because that, and a little bit of laughter, I get back, right back and the tension's gone and you start right in again and you could, you're ready to go for hours. But that just that little break to just sit and laugh at nothing or just laugh at the humor of the whole situation. I guess it's, um, maybe it's my personality. <laughs> Most things tend to, ultimately, I get irritated, but then they become funny. It's my observation, having spent not a great deal of time, but some time with staff people to various senators and whatnot, that there is a certain degree of which you, you sort of turn over your life to Oh, you do. Yeah, I mean, that's people say, I said, if I were married, and he let me hold this job for it, two weeks, I'd divorce him. Because I was never, I mean, you know, usually like six days a week, and a lot of times during campaigns, I said, I took work home on Sundays and, you know, I had phone calls and I'd take work and work on that on Sunday. When he was chairman, I went through a period, I don't know how many months and months, that I really didn't do anything except go to work, come home, and take work home with me and just try to get laundry and ironing and shopping and stuff done, and that was it. But it was so busy. And I think part of it was that in spite of that, sometimes it was stressful and all, but there was always humor in it too, and working a lot of times with the um, people in advance and all at the RNC, I mean, we'd always have some, we always got some laughs out of everything, no matter how bad it was, and I think that, you know, it provided my social life, actually, is because that's all it was, so you turned into your social life almost as, and... and- 
assuming that human behavior is based upon rewards, what were your rewards under these circumstances? I don't know. I guess having a roof over my head, having a salary, and uh, well, feeling like you are doing something you know needs to be done, and you're trying to do it as well as you can. And I guess that's... As I was always taught that your business, your work comes first. And that was ingrained in me from a tiny child. It's always school was first and everything else was secondary. And so work was first. I get the feeling that uh, it probably never happened that uh, the senator would say at some point in the day or night, get Betty, I need such and such, and someone would say, oh, no, Betty's, Betty went home a couple of hours ago. Did that ever happen? Uh, I think the only time I remember that is uh, the one year at tax bill when I had this, I had almost, they said, walking pneumonia, but anyway, I told the doctor, the capital, they sent me over there, and they said, you're not, we're not supposed to go there. I said, well, get over here. You're not going to get to a doctor, but they checked and gave me a prescription, but I said, I, they said, you have to go home and rest. I said, well, maybe Saturday. I can do that. This was Wednesday, but and I said, he said no, and I said no way. Tax bills up. That was my answer. I mean, to me, the tax bill was up. It was busy. It wasn't a question. It was, but I think that was the time. No, that was different. It was when they were going out of session the one year. They had uh, that was the time. There was like two thirty the one morning, and next morning it was around two thirty again. The last come on Friday night it was some. I got home with an hour or so sleep, and Saturday we were in all day and through Saturday night. And I finally went home Sunday morning about 8 o'clock or so. I said, I just got to, I got to get showered, and I'm dead. Went to bed and barely got in bed, and the phone rang. They were just, the Senate was just finalizing everything, and I had all the schedule and all for the Senate. It was all together, all set. But I remember, uh, God, Jack Nutter called. And hey, Betty, and Senator wants to know about this. And I, thought, I just gotten to sleep. And I said, it is all there. Everything is on his desk. It's all ready to go. The tickets are there. You know, everything's together. But that was, I thought, after a week where I'd gotten something and less than nine hours sleep in a few days. And I said, but somebody said, I said, no, I was tired. I slept for a few hours then Sunday and then got busy. But that time I remember, I thought, I don't believe it. I just got home and got to bed. And, uh, Thankfully, everything was all where it needed to be. <laughs> and what about vacation time? Did that come? I didn't have a lot of years. His answer to me was, well, t- you need to take some time, Betty. And I said, when? Well, I don't know. I said, well, you want, when you're here, you want me here. Well, yeah. Well, when you're not here, you want me here for this. Well, yeah. And I said, well, when does that leave? Oh, and that's when you get this, you know, that look. Yeah, Betty, I guess that's right. <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, when do I do it? And I said, in 70, when was it? It was 76. Um, <clears throat> I went down to, after after the uh, campaign now, and they went out. That's when they went down to, I worked out a trip. They wanted to go where it's warm, like I was going to do. And so they decided, and Elizabeth said, oh, they'd like to go to, thinking maybe, well, you were in South America a couple of years ago. I went after 72. I went to Rio and Caracas. 
And uh, so I said, yeah, I was down. She said, I'd love to see Rio and Stefan Wine figure it. So worked this travel agency. We got him to Rio. And, of course, she kind of wanted to see uh, Machu Picchu. And so we worked out this two-week itinerary and got that all worked out. And then I said, I want to go. I was thinking Guatemala and some of this. And Joanne Cody said, she said, well, you know, I'd like, can I? I said, yeah, I'd love it. So... Uh, uh, Waters Travel, my little friend there, Connie Newman, worked out something for us to Guatemala and uh, to, um, not, not, it was before they did, um, what's the big one, I'm trying to think, where we were now, they had the big resort, but this was in that area of... Um, Cancun? Yeah, Cancun, only it wasn't Cancun, it was an earlier resort, and then we, Chichen Itza and Uxmal and a couple of these places. So... Um, a couple of them, uh, I remember I got down. We didn't have phones. By the time you got to Chichen Itza, it's out nowhere. And uh, when I got back, we found out, everybody said, well, they had, my um, itinerary was in the office. I mean, they had that for anything really critical. They'd get the travel agency back. The senator got sick. He was exhausted. He got sick after it said they were there about only four or five days. And he had to come back. And... They said, well, get him. Well, but I, where's Betty? I got to talk to Betty. She said, well, we were in Chichen Itza. You don't have phone. You know, I hardly have anything. And so finally they kept saying, well, you know, we can't reach her. Well, you've got to be able to reach her because she's got to figure out how to get us back. And they finally convinced him that, uh, well, they talked to the travel agency. Somebody could do that and get it back. But, but I told me later when I couldn't even reach you. <laughs> I said, I said there were no phones, and didn't you have phone in your room? I said there wasn't. I think there's one phone in the hotel. And I said this is, it's kind of like Machu Picchu, only not as big. Where, <laughs> so I said, yeah, that was, that was a time he couldn't reach me. But I'll never forget that because I, kept, I couldn't even reach you. <laughs> one Christmas Eve, we were getting ready to go to midnight mass. It was after eleven thirty, and he called. And they were trying to reach uh, the crown. The crown of St. Stephen was a big issue. And so I had to call people, and my brother-in-law, they're yelling, hey, we need to leave, and I'm on there reaching somebody about this issue. And I said it was typical of, you know, just work it out. Presumably your family had a little bit of resentment to the fact that you were available so rarely. Well, now sometimes a few. I, once in a while, I'd take a day off if they came. Some of my family came downtown, downtown, named DC, but not that much. But I'd get home at Christmas, and that was the one time, <clears throat> the one holiday I took off for twenty years. I'd take a few days, and I said, "But I've worked New Year's Eves and New Year's," because he'd always think of his last-minute checks to send New Year's Eve, and. Missed uh, dinner and uh, gone out much later and leave a date sitting outside in the car. You're not home and <laughs> couldn't reach him. <laughs> I said, I worked Easter and I said, just about, you know. And I read a lot of things like Veterans Day and some of those, I President's Day, I rarely took. It was a good day to catch up. But, but yeah. Let's just review again. <laughs> I think this is, I'm asking the same question twice in a way, but what did scheduling mean and what were your other? Well, scheduling, I mean, scheduling was usually anything out of the office, speeches, functions out of the office, or out of town travel, and uh, then appointments, of course, were the in, in office thing, but scheduling was setting it up and 
making, you know, all the contacts to get it set up and arranging transportation and uh, then doing a schedule with the, you know, you've seen the schedules, I'm sure, you know, the kind of minute-by-minute things, yeah, and with all the contacts and stuff. And that's, you know, that was from getting it set up, well, finding out which ones you'd, Pick some and then go over them with him and see what he, which ones he would opt not to do, or, and then after that was getting, of course, regretting the others and uh, having to deal with a lot of that. When no, but we did. Oh, we need him here, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Well, but can't you work it in? And I'd say we can't. But uh, then, like I said, contacting and making all the arrangements. And beyond that, did you have other... Uh... Oh, yeah. I did, well, um, I handled all of his personal bills all the time, and uh, the personal and the office accounts I paid the bills on. And um, much of it, personal correspondence, which I most of the time just, I did it, draft and did it myself. But once I dictate, usually I just did it. And then, like personal things from ordering his shirts, because they had to be from Wolf Brothers. Good old Wolf Brothers. And uh, I said, even came down ordering, because I knew after a time during this, I think, 76, when I finally got down to ordering everything, all because he'd get his clothes there, like his T-shirts had to have a shoulder pad on the right side. And so finally came down to ordering his skivvies. And, I mean, it was just what kind of whatever you needed to do is the... and. Uh, just, you know, I always say, whatever you need to do to get the job done. And little things in the office sometimes, and just... And in terms of scheduling him, how much initiative or decision-making did you have, or did you have to pass well, up anybody? Usually, I mean, there, was a, there were a lot of requests that, you know, you knew you're not going to do, and I'll decide those. And then... The ones that were possible, so it might be good, then those we'd have to go over. Then he could decide. And right, which right. he, you know, that he had final say. Once in a while I had to, if I thought something was important and he didn't agree, I would lobby for it. Sometimes succeed and not, or not succeed. Um, <clears throat> that 74 race for re-election was a tough one for him, and you alluded to that earlier. Yes. Any other comments to make on how that was and how he was? That wasn't a good period. I mean, that was that was not a good period, because the mood wasn't great, and uh, it was... Uh, that was time you could almost forget, because he, w- like I said, after the divorce and everything, there were all these other issues, and so getting him out there and dealing with that was very difficult. And what was the mood like in the office as Watergate was unfolding and taking place? Uh, I mean, I just, I kind of have to think of it from where I was because it wasn't too great. And he was caught in there and not, you know, obviously. Here he is, and he should be in the know, and he's not kept in the loop because he was, frankly, probably too darned honest about it. And in fact, I said, at the very tail end, he was, I don't remember, I think he was out in Kansas, or ending up there, 
one day he told me that he had been trying, everybody was up at Camp David, and he was trying to get through to either um, Ehrlichman or... Haldeman or Yeah, Haldeman or Ehrlichman, yes. And he was trying and trying, and they would not return his calls. They, nobody wanted to say anything yet to him. And finally, he said, I have got to talk to someone who called me. Finally, on, I guess, it was just before, it was evening, well, in the evening, and he called. He said, Betty, they're not calling me back. I've called and called. I got I have to talk to them. They won't return my calls. You've got to call them and make sure, and here's where I'm, you know, you know where I'm going to be. They have to call. You've got to make sure they, they tell them they have to call me. So I called them there, and I think it was, I talked to Haldeman. And I finally got him first. And then one I said, I need, or oh, I used to, I guess I got insistent. I said, you know, oh, we can't put you through. I said, you're going to put me through. And so when, you know, well, I can't. I said, if there's any flack, you can yell at me. I said, I have to get through. And I finally, I got through to him and told him. And they said, well, I said, he's been calling, won't call. And I said, I told him, I'm going to keep hounding you until somebody calls him. And he finally called me back later that night. They did call him back, at least. It didn't resolve a lot, but I mean, I think I told him, I, that's my thing, get through to you. And I said, I'll call back, and I will keep calling. <laughs> what, what was it but that the it was, was after? Well, it was kind of, it was when everything was breaking, and press is asking him, and he was left hanging in the wind. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he had to get something there. I mean, uh, what do you do? And they were just being total jerks, and they, I guess they hadn't decided quite how to say it yet, but I thought, oh, I was so mad because I, I could just see it. Everybody knew that something, you know, was being decided that was drastic, and to leave the spokesman for the party hanging, I was mad. I was furious. And he finally did, but Betty, that was always, Betty, you're going to have to call them because they won't call me. And I thought, that was one of his, one time when... A flight was canceled in Chicago, and there was another flight. He had to get to Salt Lake City for a speech that evening, and the flight, of course, was booked. And he called me and said, Betty, he said, you need to get me on that flight. I said, where are you? I said, just go to the ticket counter, and they'll put you on. Well, I'm at the ticket counter. They don't pay attention to me. you got to call them. And I said, I said, well... I don't have, it'll take me time to get through. I don't, well, I said, can you get me a number? So yes, they got me a number. I called the ticket counter and they said, well, he's right here. I said, he has to be on that flight. You've got to get him on it one way or another. You know, I said, and I talked to him and I said, well, I said, explain. He's got this speech, you know, and they really need a very big, you got to do this. We got on the flight and he said, see, they didn't pay attention to me when I tried to tell him. I said, no. I mean, it was always, you've got to call them, Betty, because they don't pay attention to me. It was, <laughs> Elizabeth once told me she used my name to get a dinner reservation in D.C. She said, well, that was, they hadn't been married that long. And she said, oh, Betty, I have to tell you, I used your name. And I said, why? She said, well, because I knew they, they knew your name. They, <laughs> said, there were days when. <laughs> it's um. like. Then, uh, what was the mood like when when Nixon resigned? Uh, it was, I think, it was down for everybody. I but mean, then the was, good side was, was yeah, with you Ford. know Ford coming in, yeah. But I mean, there was that was that little. It's kind of like a death in the family. I mean, that was, 
and it was so pointless overall with what had been done before by other parties. But, uh, yeah, with Ford coming in, I mean, it was, you know, after a few days, it started, the mood started lightening up and stuff. But uh, that was, it was just not a good period. And before <clears throat> Gold went to the convention in 76, was he already contemplating that he might be the VP candidate, do you think? Well, that's another time. Uh, it was, let's see, I know that Bill, we, I think it was Bill Wolford and me and who else, uh, about four of us due to fly out, oh, Janet Anderson, Anderson then, Janet Bradbury now, were flying out the next day, and he called, Senator called me, it was late, late morning, and said, Betty, can't say anything, can't say anything to anyone, let them know what you're doing. But you have to get a financial disclosure down the White House before 5 o'clock. I don't know how you're going to get the information, but you'll figure it out. And he said, but it has to be down there, the attorney. Leonard, what's his name, Leonard? I can't remember. But he said, yeah. And I said, and he said, but you can't, you maybe better use my office, and you can't tell anyone what you're doing. So I'm in his office because some of the calls I had to make to find out finances and get some of you know, stuff for Elizabeth, and of course, you run up against that privacy issue. And so I learned, well, I we can't just. I said, let me talk to your supervisor. And finally, well, but we can't. I said, let me talk to your supervisor. I need your supervisor. So you get. And sometimes you went up through three people and went up about the top, and then, well, what do you need it for? It doesn't matter what I need it for. I need it. And you and got it. Yeah, eventually. And I was going crazy, but then people would poke them. What are you doing here? What are you doing? I mean, you've been in here for a couple of hours. What are you doing? I said, I'm just working on some stuff I need to concentrate. But the phone light, of course, was lit up. But anyway, but I got it. I think I got it down there about quarter of five and had a messenger. But it was a sketch. You know, it wasn't. It was good enough and that it would work for it. So, and that's why I knew what it was for, but nobody else. Knew it was one of you know it wasn't the only one. There were obviously others being considered, but at that point, of course, he had to tell me what what he knew. It was a possibility, but nobody else on the staff knew what it was for until. The and then it was announced, and he went on the campaign trail. Now, what imper- uh, repercussions did that have for you in your position? Well, that's where when he came in on Saturday, he uh, asked what I wanted to do, and that's when. <clears throat> I told him that it'd be kind of fun to go on the campaign staff and different. But, and I said, but, you know, what it boils down to is what works, you know, does it make a difference to you? What do you want? He said, well, if you're here in the office, it means I don't have to worry about the office, bills will be paid, the office will be okay, it'll keep, you know, it'll be kept running, and I won't worry about it then, and I can go out and campaign. That's why I said, well, if that's, you know, then that's the decision. I'll stay here, and uh, so that's basically. But I had to. We, I work constantly. I mean, uh, all day long, back and forth with the campaign on stuff, because you had to coordinate. So that's there was a lot of that. It was still late hours, and I used to say, "You guys at least can send out for pizza and all at the campaign. It's eleven thirty, and I haven't eaten yet." <laughs> that was normal, but 
you know, I'd still, because a lot of times we were faxing stuff back and press releases or something he put out for the, that were put out for the Senate, a lot of different things are faxing details back and forth. So, but it was, uh, it was a busy time. And how was he able to balance still his senatorial duties? Yeah, he did. When he was in town, he'd come in there and of course, he would also, they'd been out for a while in the Secret Service. I mean, he had a great crew. They were helpful. But I said one morning, I came in. My typewriter had a big box of stuff on it. My de- chair was loaded. The desk was knee-deep and everything. All these things he came back with, and I had to sort out. And all I remember is when the Secret Service, the head of the detail came in, he started laughing. He said, I have a feeling Sender came out and wanted a piece of paper that's in there somewhere that you had. You'd pull it right out. And so then I was laughing. I said, I don't know. And a few minutes later, Sender was in. He came out. Betty, I was moving some stuff around and get the boxes off. And he said, um, came out. He said, Betty, I need that. Remember last week, this one, uh, he was talking about something in the district that he, Remember, we talked about it and all that. He said, I don't know what I did that paper. And so I said, he gave it back to me. It's right here. I pulled it out. And the poor Secret Service guy said, I knew it. <laughs> Senator said, I didn't think you were going to be able to find that right away. And I said, well, I knew it. It's on my mind because we got to get an answer. So, But it was it was like I'd come back and you find. But he'd get right into the Senate business and start you know, going through everything and while he was there, he and he hated to miss votes. I mean, that was, and I hated to have him miss votes. So, but he had he did on that campaign. He had to miss some. And what was it like when he came back after the November election day? That was, I guess that was down. I mean, I was so down I couldn't. Uh, that uh, he was very down, and in fact, I came in and Wolford looked at my neck. I didn't, I thought I was calm. And he came over and looked at my neck and this, I remember he had a little baby, he said, Daddy, your neck, he looks like my baby's butt. And he said, and I said, what? He said, it's all red and rash. And I said, I don't know why. So, and I was very calm, I thought, and later on, I started getting really antsy and all, and I guess it was just coming out, and then I got one of these blinding headaches I get from whiplashes, and I was really, the senator came in, and he said, well, you want to go over go over to the ceremony? I said, no, I just want to take them, lie down on your sofa a little bit. He said, you got a headache? And I said, yeah. And so I was in there. Later that afternoon, I know Elizabeth came, and she went to, uh, took the car. They just had the one. She was in a few minutes, and so when he was going to in the afternoon, I was in there, and I felt so bad, and we were going over stuff, and then I was walking out, and he was walking out, and I turned, and I said, you know, I said, I'm just, I started to say something about feeling so bad about it, and I started crying. <laughs> I was going to kind of pat him on the shoulder and all, and he put his arm around and just hugged me, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm trying to make you feel better, and here I am, and he said, you did, Betty, you did make me feel better. Now I know why you had a headache. He figured out that I was just really upset by it. And he had it all figured out. But So I drove him home that night, and I said, we were talking. And I said, I just felt, he said, you know, he said, but you really cared. And I said, yeah, I cared. And so I guess that, you know, it was just, it. he felt better about it. I mean, knowing somebody cared enough to, 
So, but that was not a good day. I mean, I put that as one of my black days because it was just you, very. You, you said you mentioned a celebration. What was the celebration that was taking place that day? Not a ce- no, no. It was the inauguration. Inaug- that was inaug- Wait a minute. That was inaugural day when I didn't go over there. The day after the election, I was. I didn't know. I got out of the office that day before I broke down. That's right. Because, and then I did the day after. I said I was trying to tell him, and I left. The, walked out in the office, and he knew why I walked out because I went out and I was getting teary eyed. Then later that day. I was calm. I was okay then. I was telling him we sat down and talked a little while, and he said, but, and I remember telling him, though, I said, but, you know, did you really want to be vice president because you don't really get to do that much? And I said, and he said, well, I said, you'd be frustrated. And something, I said, just think. You'd be wanting to make the decision, and you couldn't make it. We talked about that, and he said, well, yeah, I said, here you're in control, you're in charge and stuff, and we talked about that and kind of, but it was a down day. I mean, there's no, yeah, and then I was thinking inaugural day. That was really, to me, it wasn't worse, but in some ways it was. was Um, Now, he uh, started the campaign for president in 80. Uh, When did you get wind of his, his thinking was drifting in that direction? You know, I can't remember. I really can't remember when, because after 76, so I mean he talked about, you know, talked about it in 80, but I think he, you know, kind of once in a while, kind of juggle well, you know, make some little allusion to it a year or so before, but, you know, kind of, I remember once he said, well, maybe, well, one time he said something to me about 80 is another year or something, and but I can't remember when he really said anything definite. And how do you, how how um, enthused do you think he was for for running for president in 80? Was that? I'm not sure that. <clears throat> I don't think he ever got really steamed about it that much. Not like 88. Not my, not least my feeling was. But at some point, he must have come to you and said, "Betty, you need to schedule me into Iowa quite a few times in well, the next couple." No, of but, yeah, but it wasn't. It just didn't. I don't know. It just didn't seem to impress as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got, and I can't remember when he started that though. What, how early it was, I really can't. Sure. Well, Some of those years, as I said, twenty years just kind of blur after a time. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Um, so, what about the circumstances when he became leader? How did how did that evolve? Well, I mean, I kind of knew he was lobbying hard for it and was <clears throat> really probably uh, at the top of the list. So, uh, when it actually happened, would you believe? I was there manning the phones because people were calling in about it. I mean, I had my phone, they were coming back. Most everybody else took off to the Capitol to be there. And uh, when it all happened, Lurinell, Howard Baker's, my counterpart, called me and she said, Betty, I figured you're still over there working. I'll bet nobody's called you yet because they just had the vote and they got it. And she, I said, Lurinell, it's just, I thought, you know, I know if it were me, I'd be the last one to get it, too. And she says, you're sitting there working and doing it. I said, yeah, 
I said, thanks, Lorinelle, you're right. <laughs> but that's how I got the word from Baker's mm-hmm. office. But we expected, I mean, it was pretty, I think, pretty foregone conclusion. And how did that change your job, and how did it change the office? And Well, on mine, I remember when he got the office over there, I was over there looking. At the time, I had file cabinets out the Gazula because he wanted me to be able to get my hands on anything from past stuff, from his joke files to, you know, everything under the sun. And I had three of the large file cabinets and uh, one wide lateral file inside by my desk, another small file here, another small file, and then I had the lock closet for some of the confidential stuff. And uh, looked at it and I said, no way. No, there wasn't room for a ton of files over there. So at one point he said, I think I know what we'll do, Betty. Put your typewriter and we'll put a little table on one of the subway cars and uh, maybe we'll put you in the last car and you can just ride back and forth. <laughs> Typical Bob Dole. <laughs> And I said, well, I said, there's no way. What, you have to have all those files. And I said, no. I said, well, they're over here, but there isn't room there. And so that, and then Joyce was over there, so it's the office manager and stuff. So what we did was I stayed over there and kept pretty much, you know, still doing what I was doing, basically. And coordinating, of course, with the Capitol office all the time. And Who took <clears> over... <throat> Your role or seat, at least in in the in the, in the hard office. No, I stayed there. I oh, had to stay there because there was no room for me and my files. I mean, there just was no room for all that in the capital. So that's why I said I stayed there and coordinated, and that's why I said they he'd run over sometimes if he didn't have much time just to bug me. <laughs> and who was in charge of the leader's office? Uh, well, she well. Uh, Joyce kind of was... And was that a large staff over there? Or? Let's see. I got a stomach right here. You know, when you stop and think, you know everybody, but to, I think there were about 12, it's around 12 people, I think, over there. And did that complicate your, your life a lot or, or not? I think we actually, we coordinated pretty closely. And, uh, I mean, it was made a little bit, it made it harder sometimes because he'd be tied up over there with issues and meetings when I need them. But still, I could, usually you could get an answer pretty quickly. And he was himself setting sort of the balance between where he needed to be. And yeah, and, and sometimes there was a lot, a lot of meetings, then he'd be over there more. And uh, so you just... Coordinate, but it's some, a lot of times later in the day, if they went out, he'd be over, come over for a couple of hours. So, <clears throat> did you get the feeling that acquiring that role sort of energized him and uh, made him more sort of on point, so to speak, or do you think yeah. it fatigued him more? Well, it probably did both, because I think he enjoyed it, and yet, you know, it's. There were a lot of long days and stuff, and let's just say he was or ten years older than he was when he was national chairman and had to do all the traveling and stuff. But he, I think he enjoyed the challenge. 
very much. If another senator in the in the Republican caucus wanted to talk to him as as leader, and he was in office by you, uh, would that call come to you? Like would Senator Simpson, if he wanted to talk to Senator Dole, would would that call come through you, or how did that work? If they probably sometimes if they knew that he had gone back to the office or something, it would come in there. And other times, if they called the Capitol office and he was over there, they'd call me and tell me or just transfer him over. But would you intercept the calls before he got them as a general rule? Oh, yeah, yeah. No one, yes, el no one else had the authority well, to move people f directly into his office? No, right? no, because, I mean, not unless one of the L.A.s had someone talk to him if I was in the middle of something frantically and I said just check, you know, sometimes check with him or something or if, or if they were meeting with him and... But you were the primary gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. That was what they call us Washingtonian gatekeepers. I think they had the article in there the one time they were trying to do them on the hill. That was in the mid '80s, and uh, or no, they called me and I said, "Ooh, I told Senator, he said, "Well, do it." I said, "Well, I don't want to do it." He said, "No, do it." They said, "Well," and I said, "Well, what are you doing?" They said, "We're doing ten people on the hill," and I said, "Well." You know, then I don't need to. So I said, no, you came out. And I said, well, who decides? He said, well, your peers and people around town and some of the members and all these people that they talked to. And I said, well, then if you got, you don't need to meet you. So well, you came out one, number one. And I said, well, then they decide they called back and said, we're doing all over Pentagon, industry, White House, and all that. They decide to do that and just do one each place. And I said, well, then I don't have to do it. She said, no, you're the one on the hill. So they... That was funny when they came in there and Senator was so insistent, I do it. So they called it the gatekeepers. And uh, that was, that's what they, and I remember after that came out, Senator Hugh Scott called. He was Republican leader when I started, and I thought, you know, so I was nobody. And I thought, he called me, he said, Penny, this is uh, Hugh Scott. And I, Senator Hugh Scott, and he said, and he said we just got Washingtonian. My wife and I were looking at it. I just had to call and congratulate. That's wonderful. I'm glad they recognized And I finally said, Senator Scott, how do you even know who I am? I mean, I thought, here he was. And he said, well, everybody knows who you are, Betty. I said, oh? <laughs> but, and so we had this nice chat, and I said, how are you doing? We were talking. He'd retired. He said, well, I'm starting a new law firm. He said, I'm only 84. I'm going to start a new law firm. <laughs> So it was so funny. We had this chat for a while, which surprised me, but I said it was kind of an interesting thing once in a while with some of the people who did call, and I thought, Hugh Scott was the last thing I expected. But anyway, what? but it was, um, I don't know, it was just the whole leadership thing, I think. We're, it, I think we coordinated very well. Once in a while, the L.A.'s and would uh, maybe have two people, which he could do, have two people working on the same thing, and you didn't uh, kind of, and he'd forget to say that that was something that he occasionally did, and uh, cause it. And then once they found out, okay, yeah, he told me to do that. No, he told me. To. Oh, well, I guess he told us both. So what are we doing? So that's how it would finally turn out. And that, he was doing that strategically. He wanted to... Uh... Yeah, no, and sometimes he'd be so busy, his mind was going so fast, he'd see the one person tell, oh, I need you to do this, and then get over there, maybe go to the other office, and I'd see, oh, we got to do, i got to get some stuff on this and get some information, and then as it would turn out, oh, yeah. 
Well, <laughs> and I mean, that can be annoying if you don't expect. When he started out as leader, uh, he, he was in the, the party was in the minority. Uh, did he express a lot of frustration at being in that role as minority leader? Uh, not re I think it, he was so happy to be a leader. And I then really when, think. and then, I think I mean it was frustrating at times, but overall, I think for for what it was just hey. Right, um, and what about his relations with the uh, the uh, majority leader? That would have been uh, yeah. Let's see at that, that time. Would have been Bird. Yeah. Wait a minute. No, it was Bird majority leader then? I'm trying to remember. 1980. No, this was now. This wasn't 80. Uh, this was wait a minute. 85. 85. Yeah. Wait a minute. I, yeah, I got to think back in my or 80. Was eighty four or eighty five? Was it late eighty four? Oh man! You well, know, this, yeah. Do you I, have the? Do you have it down there? Let's see. I, I do. Uh, in eighty three five, it was Baker and Bird. Bird. Oh, oh, and then okay. Eighty five, it was actually Dole. Dole I guess after, majority. In eighty five, yeah. Wait a minute. He did. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because I thought he didn't. I thought. Well, wait a minute. No. No, right. I would, that's that why I was mistake. saying, wait a minute. Because I thought, and I was thinking, wait a minute, I don't remember. That was my mistake. That's yeah. right, because he was, yes. Majority so leader yeah. to start. That's, but boy, you have to think back on some of these well, and I, really. I should have, that was no. my mistake. But that's why I was saying it was okay. Yeah. But no, he was, and I so thought, then, no, I know he's excited to be, yeah, that had to be. Then my question would have been, when he went from majority leader to minority, minority leader, leader, what was that like? Uh, let's see, well, no, I was... He was still majority leader when I left in 90. Weren't we in control? I have stopped and think. I think there were, there were two switches between times. Right. Yeah, we had Reagan. Oh, wait, yes, there was. Be well, Because yes. the 86 election. Yeah, uh, the 86 the was, lost yes, but that was uh, Clinton. Yeah, that's right. It was a switch again. That's right, Clinton, but Mitchell must have been. Mitchell, yeah, right. Mitchell was. Right. And he and Mitchell overall got along pretty well, but uh, better I know than he it, and, and Bird. Well, Bird was. I think Mitchell was a little bit easier to deal with than Bobby Baby. <laughs> Robert Bird is uh, pretty set. Mitchell, I mean, there were some. I know they didn't always agree, but basically, they. Worked fairly well together, and I'm, now I'm thinking back that time because um, my counterpart with Mitchell was really nice, and I knew her. I mean, we'd been at the and I can't, I can picture her now and can't think of her name to save myself. And her sister, when I started real estate, I met her sister, and she was doing real estate in Northern Virginia, and I can remember, and I can't think of her name right now, but she was nice. We got along very well. Let's move ahead to his. Presidential aspirations in '88. What was? What can you tell us about that? It was hectic, <laughs> but I'm trying to think when. You know, I can't remember time-wise when we really. I know by '87 we were fully involved, shall we say, in doing the. But I can't figure out, you know, exactly when all that started, mm -hmm. but it was. I mean, that was more full-blown and really getting. I'd say it was more serious than 80. 
put it that way. And yeah. he was really, he was going for it. Yeah, he was. And that was, uh, <clears throat> of course, I was thinking, getting all, you know, all the the travel and stuff, and he was really getting into that in a big way right away. New Hampshire, I remember all those New Hampshire trips and the Iowa, and uh, <clears throat> right. it was like. And, yeah. and, but it petered yeah. out pretty quickly, didn't it? After New Hampshire. So That's how did he absorb that? Not very well, as you probably heard, and he, and I know you've heard he was quite upset with Bush. He was upset about the whole thing, and uh, that was a strained relationship for a long time. Could you be specific about what he most bothered him about Bush? Well, it was the whole New Hampshire thing, and uh, the issue... He wasn't straightening my record and stuff, and that was the big. He just the advertisements. Yeah, and that was basically the, one of the big issues. And again, I see. Just be glad you're not president. That's the thing you're not I was going to ask you what your speech was <laughs> to him then. I would say, I mean it. I said, but that's how you used to tell him. But look at anyone who has been president four years when they go in and how they look when they come out. Look at Bush now. He looked like a young kid when he went in, and his hair is totally gray. Eight years, not quite, seven years, and, and I mean, you're you just age. It's a killer job, and I just uh, but that wasn't real good afterwards. But I, I in a way, to me, he bounced back from that faster than he did '76 in a way. I mean, there it was over, and he went, but yet it was kind of a like. For a while, well, do I ever have another shot at anything? At first, like '76, maybe that's it, because I was thinking age. Well, and then Reagan, after Reagan ran, he was older. I think that was like, oh well, age isn't the whole criterion here. Well, and in '88, he had a pretty exciting job to come back. to. Well, that's right, very exciting job to come back to. But but I meant it was still, he didn't make the real thing, but it was. When he decided to run, though, I said it was in, uh, just a different overall thing. But I know it took a couple of years or several years, and so I still a little bit in Bush. And I said, just the way I used to tell him, just get off it. And I said, they, I mean, it slowly worked, but. Now, uh, that was. 88 was, you only had four more years of no, I with only, him, right? Well, you, from the time we started there, I left no, in mid-90. I left no, in mid-90. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little about those last two years, what was going on. and. Well, he for after 88, he kind of settled for a while, settled down, and uh, I kept telling him, <clears throat> say, I said, are you going to try to run again? one point he said, no, he he really he said man he said no I don't think I need he said I think I've tried enough at one point is what he had told me I think I he said I think I've done tried that enough and I think he said ninety two I'm I'm not getting younger and so it's kind of like but then I think by the time I don't know when he really got into that into the ninety six so it was after I was gone when I 
heard stuff, and um, but I couldn't say exactly when he decided maybe we'll try it again. He didn't confer with you? Not on that. No, I mean, I'd seen some, but... And I still, I'd always question how they ever got the uh, campaign manager they got. I told Joanne, I said, how did, well, but he ran Bush's. And I said, yeah. And they lost. You don't, I said, I wouldn't hire a loser to run a winning campaign. That's my feeling. And I was just, I just didn't see Scott Reed as being the right person. But, uh, and I just, there were a lot of other, I mean, many factors, but there, he did, I told him afterwards, you know what you did? You know, it's a thing, you did what the campaign man, managers were telling you to do. And you never would do that before. And this is the one time you shouldn't have listened to them. Because they kept, be presidential, you're running against a young, be presidential and, you know, and don't not, don't act, otherwise you don't want them to think you're old, be president, you know, not that you're old, but that you can't you can't joke around. You got to be the presidential type. And I said, so that's what you were doing, and that's exactly what you shouldn't have done. You should have been Bob Dole. And I talked to some people. That uh, in fact, a couple people here in town that saw him when he came through in the '96 campaign, the last '96 hours, and he was. And I asked, I told, I said, but people in Lima, and I said some other people on, the, on that tour that I've talked to, said you were great. You were the old Bob Dole. He said, well, I figured I didn't have anything to lose. The last ninety-six hours didn't look good anyway. I had nothing to lose. It might as well be me. And I said, you know what? If you had been doing that right along, you could be in there. And I said, why did you listen this time? And well, they told me I had to act presidential, and I couldn't. I had to be serious. And I said. You know, because I really thought, and that's how he was, that's what he was doing there. And it just, like, it was funny because I talked to some people who saw him when he was, during the campaign, when they saw him out being presidential, and they were on that last swing, and they said, they didn't vote for him. I mean, they were kind of independents, but they said that last tour through there, we would have, you know, it's, if he had been like that, but we just thought that was a fluke. And I said, no, the fluke was the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and let's talk now a little bit about the joke. You mentioned a joke file, and I want to hear about that in just a moment. But um, there was always the risk when he was joking that the joking could become a little bit pointed and poisonous, well, couldn't it? Well, yeah, once in a while, if he did, if but that could have been controlled with a little bit of reminder. But but he was also, he was good at poking fun to himself, too. My sense, and others I've asked about this, is... I, mean, I was going to say, I mean, and didn't have to be joking that much. as just being more light, not being so serious about it, and trying to look presidential by being... You know, and like this instead of the Bob Dole smile. Right, right. People thought he, you know, and he is. Uh, what Phyllis once said when they had argued, she told me, so, well, you know, that deep voice, no, and if he was scowling, you were scowling, she says it was intimidating. She said, You're the, you were never intimidated, and I think he really respected that. But she said, you know, he's tall and the dark hair. And she said, you know, he can be intimidating if he's... 
you know, if you're arguing or disagreeing. And I think that's what people saw. And if he, you know, lied or you know, smile and all, then they see in, this, in that smile, if he smiles, you can't help but smile back. This is an aside, but let me ask you this question. Do you think you were able to stand up to him uh, as you did because you were a woman? Do you think there was any gender factor involved there? Could a man have been as sassy to him as you were? I don't know. I said, I think about a couple of times, my first time I ever did something that was sheer, you know, I didn't know who I was talking to. It said something years before and worked out. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe a man saying it just wouldn't have been saying the same thing or didn't. It may be because, uh, as Phyllis said, he admires you standing up to him because he once told me about Elizabeth and they were dating. He said, she reminds me a lot of you, Betty. And he said, you know, she reminds me a lot of you. And so I said, it was funny. So I said, it was maybe that, maybe it was. I don't know because it was just, um, and it's the way we operated. What <clears throat> was the joke file? Well, he had, I mean, I don't know whatever happened to it, but he had a file of jokes one of my best, which I finally found and made a copy of, which I still have, was really, it's a long one, you have to know, but he'd read that about um, the way things, passing things down, how it gets misinterpreted. And it was like uh, something coming from the colonel down to the private, and it was about Haley's comet passing, comet passing over, and it just goes on until it's really funny. But he also had... Uh, he had a number of jokes that were funny. Some of them that he'd tell were directed at himself. <clears throat> like he used to always say in one of his, <coughs> uh, when he was campaigning, that uh, he had started out intended uh, to be a doctor. And then he said, and then I went in the army and I was wounded. And uh, so somebody was described doing an intro. That was it. Bob Dole, he was starting uh, to started in med school, then he went in the army, he was wounded, suffered a head wound, and went into, this, went into politics. That's how he described him. <laughs> suffered a head wound and went into politics. <laughs> and he loved to tell that joke about himself. But he had several like that that were really, you know, about his. But, I mean, I can't remember some of the jokes, but there were a bunch of them, and he'd hear them. <clears throat> in fact, there were times when, if you're Bob Orban, who did, um, he's one of the people, he's, uh, he usually does like these, some of these letters for comedians and that, there were, and who else did we use? He also did uh, in Washington, he's funny as a devil, he does political satire. And I can remember for... Russell? Yes, yes. And uh, I love Mark when he Russell. does, Mark Russell. And sometimes I'd have to call him and get him to do some, come up with some lines for him and stuff. And I said, I know one time, I think it was for it. I think the one time it was for the Gridiron Club, and I know Mark Russell was out in Phoenix or out in Scottsdale, and we needed a couple. He said, I need a couple of really good thing, jokes for this. So I tracked, I said, he's out. I said, well, so I 
fact, it was late at night, and I said, Mark, well, he said, let me think. Now I'm thinking on this. I've got another performance after a while, but can I get back to you? And he said, it's going to be after midnight your time, but I said, that's okay. I just need them tonight. And so he, you know, he called back, and I got some jokes. I called Bob Orban that, you know, just give us a couple good, you know, one-liners and stuff. And sometimes those guys, but Sender was good at coming up many himself. Well, he was famous for yes. spontaneous yes, humor. Yes, that's it. And I said, Lynn Nofziger, I think uh, the first time he did a gridiron was in, I think it was 73. He and Teddy Kennedy. That was, I remember that one real clearly because he was really stressed. He was up against Ted Kennedy. <clears throat> and where he was trying to think up lines, he had people working on some. And Lynn Nofziger was... Um, over at the RNC, he did speech writing and stuff. And so on Friday afternoon, Sender said, he said, Betty, uh, he went over to the RNC, he said, need you to come over here, and we're going to be working this evening on speeches Friday night. I think John Smith, he had come over, and Judy Harbaugh was over there. And we sat there, and Lynn and Sender were working on stuff, and we'd had some calls out. And working all these different, get it lined up, and then Saturday we got it all typed up for the gridiron dinner. And he was so nervous about it. <clears throat> and, of course, he I guess they had a room for him down at the hotel. And so he called, and I know he called, he was married to Phyllis yet, and he had called her just before. <clears throat> and then... I was sitting there, pins and needles, wondering. And so later that evening, I thought that should be over. Oh, I hope it went well, because he had really good material. It's funny. And finally the phone rang. Daddy? I said, yeah, how'd it go? Not very well. I said, what do you mean it didn't go very well? You went, I just, I just, so I just called Phyllis. And she said, I was too, I was too nervous. And I said, yeah, you were. I said, we kept telling you relax. And he said, I just, I just didn't do well. I just couldn't get, I couldn't get the delivery. And I said, well, you, I said, no, we kept saying, just relax a while and don't keep going over it. Just, but Ted Kennedy can't be terribly funny anyway. So I figured that probably, I mean, it wasn't as bad as he thought, but he had to just talk about it for a little bit and get enough his, you know, off his mind for a little bit to a couple of us, and I said, okay. But I just, I thought Ted Kennedy being funny is an oxymoron in my book. <laughs> um, any other, I, I don't want to put you in the position of reciting jokes for the next 20 minutes, but I mean, are there any that just really so t tickled you? or you know, There repeat? were so many that I'm trying to think of some of the, I mean, like that one about the and I can't think of any right now, and I know there's so many of them. Sure, sure. Um, Sheila Burke, she came to work at a certain She point. came uh, when we were, I guess, on finance committee. She was doing health issues. And how was she as a colleague? Well, she was, she was good. I mean, she's very knowledgeable, but when she started out, we had some, she used to not get her stuff done on time. <laughs> and, uh, I said, I know one day in particular, where she was, 
I'd been after her. She knew her. When the senator talked to her, I said, I need this. You know, I've got to have it first thing in the morning. I need, you need to get on it. And she was out roaming around and stuff, and I kept after her. And then Kay Luther was, had to type it for her. And Kay usually would. But Kay had told her all day, she says, I've got to because something had happened. She had to get out of there by 6.30 at the latest. And so she kept telling her, and I was pushing her. And all of a sudden, it was about... It was after 6. It was close to 6.15 or so. and Or a bit later, Kay had to be leaving immediately. And Kay came up to me and said, Betty, she just gave that to me. She says, I can't stay tonight. I absolutely can't. And I said, go, go. She's known about it actually since yesterday. And so I said, just go. She can type it herself. She's quite capable of it though she didn't want to. So next morning I came in early because I had to change some stuff around the one had done. I was on the phone and working away before 8.30. Sheila came in about a few minutes before, rushing up. They said, Betty, you're going to have to type this right now. And I said, what? She said, you're going to have to. I said, Sheila, I've been after you all day yesterday. Sender reminded you. Well, Kay left last night early. I said she left at about 6.30, and she had told you all day she's supposed to be out there by 5 or 5.30. Well, but I, I really can't type it that fast. I can't do it. And I said, well, next time maybe you'll listen and get it in on time. She said, well, I, I said, I can't do it. I've got real work to do that is, I haven't dawdled on all day. So I said, she was very unhappy. But ever after that, Sheila pretty much realized she wasn't going to, you know, with me, she had a blank wall. But uh, And she started improving on getting some stuff. I think she realized that, hey, you know, the world doesn't revolve around me. And I said, I think Sheila and I, I mean, I, I like Sheila. I mean, we become friends, you know. But it was just that um, thing like, oh, I, don't, I can do this and get by. And I'm one of these. Well, I, was, I said, no, and you were sitting back there chatting on the phone. I said, Kay heard every bit. You're making plans for the weekend. I said, I heard you doing it when I was back there. I said, a group of people were doing something. I said, that comes after the work, not before, Sheila. <laughs> so, but uh, I always remember after that, though, we got, you know, she never, she didn't pull that stuff around me anymore, and uh, it was okay. And I said, of course, she knew that uh, she, she and our form one brief time L.A. Were mar- got married. I mean, AAA. And... Now, he was, David was good. I mean, he was very good, but when he came going back to that part, <clears throat> he was there a few months, and he was not, I liked him when we were 12, but he came out, he talked to Joanne Cohen, and he said, you know, this job with the two of you, the way, you know, the way he wants it done, he's got faith in you two, and it really leaves the AA with a lot of the stuff totally out of the loop. And I guess it kind of, you know, a lot of that stuff did. And he said, I really, you know, I like him. I like, but I can see how he operates and how it's, he's going to continue that way. So David, we left, I mean, and he was right. There were a lot of things that were going to stay that way. But it wasn't anything that, any disagreements in that, but it was just that, you know, and he said, hey, it's working for him, so he's not going to change. There was quite a bit of turnover, wasn't there, on the oh, staff? Yeah. Yes, we had, a, especially in the AAs, we had uh, Bill great. let's see, Mike Baruti, I think was after that. 
and it's hard to, I mean, to count them all. We had... And, Armitage. Yeah, Armitage. And then uh, I remember when Jim Brady came in to interview for that job. And uh, uh, that was before, of course, he went to work for Reagan. But that threw me a little bit. He came in because if you come in for an interview and you're sitting out, there, aren't you going to sit up straight, have your tie and everything? Like, I came out, it just threw, call him in sitting back in the chair like this and his tie kind of loosened and very relaxed and I said I don't know if this is going to work out <laughs> I mean it was a, you know that first impression I'm, you can impress somebody with your energy but that didn't impress me as having being an energetic person for it <laughs> so it was just one of those things you see and you can't quite reconcile was there more turnover in the Dole offices than uh, normal or usual, typical? See, I honestly don't. I think our biggest thing was in the AAs. And I think probably there was, and take cite one case from when I went into real estate. One of my first listings, one of the early listings, was former staff. Uh, she had worked, she wasn't anymore, working for Packwood, my counterpart, who I'd known for a while, and her husband, who was Magnolia's Marine Colonel, had retired from there. And when I went out to see the, their townhouse and talked to him about it, and sat down, we got chatting about some things, on the, you know, on the hill and what happened. And uh, he started laughing about that. He said, you know, every time you get a new AA, we're always laughing because, and he said, Betty, I got to tell you, you're on a couple of them. You've been number one on the hit list because you they are trying to get control of stuff. And he said, we've had a couple of them. He said, come in. He said, well, we're going to change that. I'm going to change that. You know, Betty's got, you know, he's got all this stuff, and I'm going to do things. And he said they had these Senate, the AA's lunches every week with the females. They never had time to do those. But uh, anyway, he said, we use some of us with laugh afterwards we just crack up and they said the only way they're going to get Betty on there is when she decides to leave because it's not going to be because the senator is going to get rid of her she's going to be the deciding factor in when she leaves and I remember though he said when the when in, every time a new AA comes in there so I guess we we had a number of them in a couple of years because I remember when Al was saying that and we were kind of laughing and his wife Liz was saying, "Yeah, I think I've heard, I've seen quite a few, quite a bit of turnover." <laughs> and part of it was, I think, it wasn't run like, you know, I know his counterpart Jim Pearson when he came with senior senator. They, um, I mean, his AA Jerry Waters was there in the evening, and he took care of it. And then Ken, thank God, she was Francis. Would, she'd leave at 5.30, and that, that was how it operated. And Quite different. Yeah, much different. And one time, though, they did uh, salaries, I guess, on Wichita TV. Uh, so they had some of the staff salaries flashing. And uh, I had a call from someone out there. One, no, why? You're the same, you do the same job as Senator Pearson's secretary, and you make more money. I wouldn't know why you would make more money. And I said, well, maybe I should should hear. I said, because she works from 8.30, so to 5 or 5.30, and I come in at 8.30 before, and I go straight through, and if I get out of here by 
Nine, I think I'm doing well. Well, but do you, how many breaks do you... I said, I don't take breaks, and I usually don't take any time for lunch. I grab it at my desk. And I said, most of the people take lunch. And I said, maybe that might affect it. She said, oh, I said, well, the AA, Jerry Waters, that's why he makes more. <laughs> you know, I said, that's usually... And Jerry Waters does some of that. It's just the way the office is run. Oh, I said, that... Well, oh yeah, well that makes a difference. And I said, well, yeah, that's you know that makes that's the reason. So I said, but I thought, oh Lord, your name's up there flashing around with I guess they. Tell us about um, Elizabeth Dole's introduction to Dole's world and how you learned about it and how. It well, that things. was oh, um, oh, what's her name? Consumer Affairs. Um, not Betty Friedan. But, no, no. Uh, but uh, I know I can picture. It. No, no. It was F, and I can see her now, and I can't think. I'll think of it later. But she had something she wanted to come up and see about, and I think she was niggling. I think Elizabeth had seen the sender, you know, and she had seen him kind of like. Anyway, I think uh, she got her up there. She was. Uh, they were always trying to get them together, and then finally Elizabeth came up on some issue, and uh, she came up there a couple of times, and uh, who was it? She, I almost had her name on the tip of my tongue, would invite him up to dinner and trying to get Elizabeth. So then Elizabeth came up there and uh, a couple of times, and I guess they got talking, and out. so that's when uh, he was telling me that after that, that's when he said, I'm a lot like her, and he used to confuse us once in a while. I said, no, it's... And then I found out where a couple of the offices, uh, Timmons office, and they say, they always called me Betty Dole because I was always there. So I was called Betty Dole. <laughs> it was like, it, meaning me in this case. So, but with Elizabeth, one day, say one time, he was at uh, something. He came back. He said, remember, met the, that person, that man we met the other night. And I said, the other day. And I said, this guy that we talked to. And I said, what guy? Oh, he was, I don't remember how he was describing. And I said, I don't know what you were talking about. He said, the night be, be, it was yes, just the day before yesterday, two days ago we saw him. And I said, I don't know. He said, you do too. And you were, and finally I kept saying, yes, you do. You were right there. And I said, try and think in the office who was in that. Finally he went over, he had to go over and vote and stuff. He came back a while later. Have you thought of that name? I said, no, I don't know. I just don't have any idea who you're talking about. I've, here's the schedule. Here's who's been in this week. No. When he said, wasn't here, I said, well, I haven't been anywhere else where you were this week. Because sometimes there's functions. Yeah, that's okay. And he said, you were standing right beside me when we met him. And I said, where did we? You know, at that dinner, the horse console thing. I said, that was Elizabeth. Not Betty, and don't you ever confuse me again. <laughs> I guess he just forgot who he, you know, and he was, but he was getting so irritated with me because I couldn't remember. And I kept trying to pin him down. He was just getting, each time he'd get more irritated that I couldn't remember. So then I started thinking about people who might have been there, and he still, and Elizabeth, when he talked to, didn't remember. So I called Tad Davis, who was with the horse console, and I was saying, Tad, i got to figure this out. Now that we've gone through and figured it wasn't me who was there with him. and So we finally found out. But it was so funny. I mean, <coughs> he 
he's just standing there and looking right at me, but just not thinking. And I said, oh, that's did, when you feel you need to get out. And, did Dole gather the staff together uh, and to friend. announce that he was remarrying and so yeah, forth? Or I, how did he I, yes, he did. They, yeah, he, no, he didn't. He, wait, no, Bill Katz told, uh, told him about the divorce. I guess, yeah, he did. Because he was the one who did tell us that. I had to think, wait a minute, Bill Katz was long gone. But uh, yeah, he did, as I recall, tell us about it. And, and then did she become a common presence in the office? No, she no, because she was still, you know, she was working and stuff, so she wasn't there that much, but that wedding just about wore me out. <laughs> I was, somebody, for the, some of the kids, pasted something on my desk. I bridal registry, because I got the calls. They referred to me to, for the bridal registry, so I was trying to deal with that, too, with it. You know, work, but I got the calls. Okay, they're registered here, and you know, this where they're registered, and all these calls. And I remember I had to fill out the papers for the church for them, and then get her on a plane to Boston to be fitted by, dressed by Priscilla Boston, and get. And I don't know why I got that. Well, because I could kind of do that. I worked long hours, and her staff at the, or um, she at that time, was she? FTC, and I'm trying to remember where she was at that time, or transportation, can't remember. But anyway, whichever it was, it was federal, mine was too, but since I worked long hours, you could... I worked many extra hours, so I got my hours plus in, but it was uh, kind of a crazy time. In fact, the night, the wedding, he was there trying to get into, and he can't get into black tie alone, he couldn't. He was trying to get the cummerbund, something else he had trouble with, and he called me and said, Betty, he said, wait, I said, wait, who is over near there? You don't have much time. And I finally found, I think it was Paul Russo and Mike Scanlon were li- living real close, and I got him over there to get him squared away. But he was calling said, you to help him with the cummerbund. No, to find was... out, no, he was trying to figure out, hey, I, and I said, you got to leave in a few minutes. I was out in Arlington, but I said, let me find one of those guys. I found some, I can't remember, I think it was one of them I found to get with Scoot right over there and double and help him and get him going. At the Watergate. <laughs> yeah. To get him over to the cathedral on time to get. So during your last years working with Senator Dole, were you dealing a lot with Elizabeth Dole as well or, or not? Well, yeah, I mean, you were you coordinated. I mean, I coordinated with her office in that she had some nice people. My counterparts over there were great to work with. And so we had a lot of coordinating to do then, but, you know, it would and, work out and pretty well. And what was your impression of working with her? Did you have much direct uh, interactions with her or not? Well, at times, yeah. You know, and there were times she'd call in and, you know, sometimes she'd call in the evening and ask me if I could do something because her people had gone home or if it was, you know, something else personal. She couldn't ask them, but I'd do nine o'clock night, hey, that's okay, that's one more call. And, but overall, I said, yeah. We, and I said, it was, you do get... Uh, she told me, I left as Robin. So when you're, she she told me when she found out I was leaving Washington, she called and she told me she says her first comment was, 
you know Bob. I say, I sure do. <laughs> she said, I just found out last night. He finally told me that you're leaving, I mean, moving away. And I said, yes, no. So we talked a little bit about it. She said, Betty, it's like my family's leaving town. And she said, and then I started, so we both hung up. And it was hard. But it was just, you know, it is, because she doesn't have an extensive family. I mean, her two nephews and, you know, one brother and stuff, and her parents now are gone. But uh, it was like, you know, it, it is. You become just very close. And I said, gee, when I, actually, when I left right before, and I had, she wanted me to have lunch with her in the Senate dining room, she had... Uh, because she, she didn't, when, we had a long time, usually she interrupts, she said no interruptions. So we had a long chat, just a good chat on her family, my family, and, you know, everything under the sun. And then she gave me this going away gift. It's, it's beautiful. I've got my cabinet. It's this little uh, heart with uh, kind of faceted crystal with a little, like, that frosted glass bow on it. And she had this note with it. So sweet. I told her, she said, to me, and I said, can I wait and open later, because you're going to be embarrassed, I know I'll blubber right in here, and I, said, I knew she probably would too, <laughs> and so I opened it way back, and she had her driver take me back to the law firm, and so I was, I opened it, and I thought, oh Lord, the senator said, what'd you get, and he showed me, and I showed, I said, well, have you seen it, he said, no, she told me, but I didn't see it, so I showed him, and he read the note, and he said, she meant it too, and he broke down and took off, and Joyce came out, she said, and I just hear him break down again. I said, yeah. And I said, yeah, me, because a couple of times when he'd be talking to me right before I left, he'd kind of, he'd start, his voice would change, and he'd walk away real quick. And I said, it was like, and I was having trouble. So, <laughs> But this, it was something that Elizabeth said in the card, something about a part of, a, a part of me goes with you to Ohio or something. But it was real, very, but it was funny because it's just, and it is, I mean, it's, he had told me, I said, well, I told him, I said, well, I was gone. From, he said, but you were here all the time. You came to things. You were at things. You weren't totally gone. So it's like, right. I do miss him. Like Robin said in her birthday card, so I miss you. you got to get back here. I said, <laughs> um, over yeah, the period like, of time you worked with him, did you see any changes in his attitude towards things or his... Was he pretty much uniformly the same? No, I mean, I'm sure everybody does that. You have periods, I mean, where you're more enthused about things, less enthused, and uh, I mean, I think it's just human nature. I mean, up times, down times, and they aren't necessarily on a defeat or something. They're just a part of life. But there were there were some times when... I guess, I said, I always say the 60th birthday always stands out in my mind because I've never seen him work for several days. He was stressing that. But, uh, no, and then I guess there were some times where it's like he lost a little bit of enthusiasm more after, maybe there was a little bit, there was some after 88 I mean, he came back to the job, but it was a little bit of a letdown, definitely. And in 76, it definitely was. But I think there was less after that brief 80 campaign than it was the other two times. But then he'd pick up, and then once in a while, I think he debated 
you know, a couple times. And I don't know, one time he had said it was the last election that I was there, his election. Well, I don't know if I'm getting too old to run again, was one time. And I said, no, you're not. So, but, but, I mean, he's, it, I'd say that overall, if he's maybe a few days, like, oh, then ignoring something or not being, saying, oh, but not for prolonged periods. Right. If you had a, a day during your career with him to relive, is there a day that comes to mind, gosh, I, that was just such an interesting day? Or well, There are probably actually a lot of them when I think about it. There were 20 years of days. And I, you know, try to single one out. I just, you know, I just was thinking that some things that are so clear because they end up being, that's, like I said, the inaugural in 77, that was, I mean, that was only because it was so sad and stuff that it stands out, but I was so upset. And But uh, I don't know, sometimes I think it's, when he was first Republican National Chairman, there were a couple of days in there that was, you know, he was so excited, everything was so... But, but then I see, you know, I think there are probably at least a minimum of 50 or 60 more that just a lot of things stand out. And some of them were, wouldn't maybe seem that outstanding to anyone else, but some, they'll stick in your mind for a reason. Right. But I, I can't really say one is above everything. Sure. I want to pause here just for a oh, second. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Are there senators, uh, other senators that stand out in your mind, and for what reasons? When I think about, I said, somebody that I really liked, and some of them did, but I liked was John Hines. I really, and when they were on finance committee, he was always so polite and so nice. But one funny incident. When during tax bill again, and they were, it was about late at night, and they'd been over at the floor, and they kept, but the Republicans were caucusing in the senator's office. So of course, I was there, but um, the South Carolina Republicans sent up this big basket of peaches, and they were sitting up on the tall file cabinet across from my desk. And after one of the votes, now John Hines came and got there, back there first. And I was doing something, I looked up, and I saw him. He was standing by the file cabinet. He was very tall, going like this. Just inhaling the aroma of the peaches, and just, and this look on his face was sheer bliss. And I said, Senator, would you like a peach? Oh, Betty, could I have one? I mean, here's John Hines. And I said, of course you can, Senators. I got some paper tiles and everything. He was just, he was so delighted. Oh, I really appreciate it. And then he was calling his wife. He was going to call home. And he said, I guess she hadn't been feeling real good. And he said, uh, talked to one of his kids. And he said, now, don't wake your mother if she's asleep. I just want to know how she's doing. Now, don't you wake her. You make sure you don't wake her and let her rest. And he was going, but just like this little, you know, really sweet, but those peaches, this look on his face, like, 
was in heaven. And I said, that's the, uh, one of my favorites was John, uh, Jack Danforth was funny, too. And he was, I know, one time during one of their caucuses on finance, he got there ahead with his AA, and they were trying to go over a question of something in the tax bill that Danforth didn't get. And I was taking him coffee and stuff, and he was, t- he was really tall and thin, you know, and he was saying, telling, so his AA or his LA was explaining. And Danforth said, I still don't get it. And each time he'd say that, he kept sinking lower in the sofa. He was obvious. He was just frustrated. And without thinking, each time, so he'd explain it, try to explain I, just, what's, I don't know what's, I'm just not kidding. Finally, he's down, and he was, his head was almost against right against the seat. He was just totally frustrated by it. And, I mean, it was just so funny because here's this guy, and he's just, and it, unconsciously, the frustration is coming out that way. <laughs> I said one time too. He called. I know, and uh, he called me and said, "Betty," he said, "I wanted to let you know." He said, uh, "I know the senator is ahead. Go out to something for a bit." He said, "This issue is coming up. It was on foreign imports of cars," and he said, uh, "I wanted to make sure you'll get it. Get the word to him right away on this on this amendment that I'm working on." And he was explaining, and I said. Senator, don't you dare take away my Toyota. And there was a pause, and he started laughing. And he said, Betty, I'm not going to take away your Toyota. He said, you know, if people here knew what foreign cars that some of us drive, he said, tell you, I've got a Mercedes for my wife because they're very reliable on that, more so back then. And he said, and I said, that's why I have a Toyota. And I said, he said, I'm not going to take it away. I said, okay, then I'll tell him. <laughs> but that was just, Danforth was such a, but nice people. But there were so many of them that uh, early on, I always remember the two H's, I used to call them from, um, Mon- was it Montana and Arizona? And I always say, Paul Fannin from Arizona, and no, no, it was it was Republican, yeah. And I can't think, but uh, they were just a lot of. I remember Bill Bradley used to come by the office. I mean, if if he just once in a while he'd pop and uh, just say if he's gone by, if he saw you there, he'd just stick his hand out and wave and say hello and stuff, but. and then there was Strom Thurmond. <laughs> Stromy was in the, he was, uh, he used to go running down the hall yet when, part, no, but he'd be racing for a vote. Well, the, when we were on the uh, Swan Codell in Rome, Howard Green and uh, Alan Porter, the photographer behind, were going through, what do you get, like the catacombs, the Pope's tombs in there, and Strom was on that, and he grabbed me. He got his arm around my waist, and he was saying, "Now, which pope's that?" And we're going, "Which pope's that?" We're going through there, and I knew. I looked back, Howard, and Helen were just cracking up back there. And I was, I said, "I'm gonna kill you guys." But here was Thurman. Now, which pope? Which one's that? And it was just. I mean, he was funny. He came in one day with the senator because the senator, they were taking up a collection for something, and like when a hundred dollars, and the senator said. Betty, do I have? I mean, he needs a hundred dollars. He said, collect for some whatever it was." And I said, "He said, do I have enough money in there?" I said, "Yes, I think you do." Strom looks at him. He looks at me, and huh? Like you don't know? 
<laughs> it was just funny because, but uh, now most I would say most of the senators, the only one that I would really say could never impress me except negatively because he was rude and crude was, guess who? Yes. Anytime I've seen him, and I've won a trip with him too, I mean, just, just really not. And he never, I said, I had to get him out of a meeting uh, for his AA, had to talk to him. And I went in, I remember this one time I went in and told I said, Excuse me, Senator. I said, Yeah, I told him what's on. So practically shoved me, you know, out of the way uh, to get out of there. And he said, Where is it? And I think back then, uh, Dave Dernberger was on one side of him and uh, Danforth was on the other. They both looked up and said, Thank you, Betty, right before Kennedy would get out. But Kennedy would never say, Please, thank you. I mean, it's like it was beneath him. And he said, when he walked out, he said, Where's the phone? You know, not. And I said, It's here. <laughs> <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> I said, Betty, tell us about uh, your reasons for, for retiring. Well, a big reason, I guess, because I needed a break. I had 20 years in, so I could kind of take an early retirement. And uh, I'd gotten interested in real estate when I bought my house in 78 and um, decided that this might be something I think I'd enjoy. I just needed a break from the hours and some of the stress which probably wasn't bright, as people said, you don't go into real estate for better hours and lack of stress, but I did. But And that's basically why I left. I mean, it was hard in a way. It was very hard, too. But I just thought, you know, there comes a time when you have to kind of step back. And at that time, he wasn't going to run for president again. But uh, So that's basically why I did. I could get some retirement to, because starting in real estate, you start out from square one. Well, no, I didn't. Robin wanted to buy a cellar condo and buy a townhouse, and her best friend wanted to buy a condo. So I had a couple of them, and uh, Mike Monroney, whose dad had been a senator from Oklahoma, a Democrat, but was a good friend of uh, the then senator from one of from Kansas. But Mike I knew from other things. He'd been vice president of TRW when I met him. And he was looking, so that was the third one. He called me right away, if you're going into real estate. So I had a couple of things going, but that's what I left to do. And you did that for how long? Well, I was doing it from 90, well, I was started when I was still on the hill. And uh, I got my, took just a, about a week off for study for the last, or two weeks. And uh, that was it. I guess I actually got the license in the end of 90, late 90, or early, no, it had to be early 91, yeah, late, early 90, I forgot, I was 90, I retired, so it was early 90, but uh, then I was doing that until I left in 03, of course, in August 1st of 99, I was back helping the senator of the law firm again, to fill in for two to three months. And um, while Mo was out, Joanne and Joyce said, you'll never get out of there again. Not You're not going to get out. So it was supposed to be a couple days a week. Well, it kept growing, and, and then I was doing kind of what I'd done before. So uh, that, was, that was hard to leave. <laughs> that was even harder to say I was coming back here. 
and that was very hard to tell him. So, so you did that from four years. From three to no, 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 I did that from 99. I did real estate weekends, evenings, and holidays, and I worked for him usually four, four usually five days a week from August of 99 till through, I guess it was July of 03. Was it easy to pick up after nine years? Yeah, I mean, once I went out, tried to look at the files and familiarize myself with files and stuff so I could kind of get that, and uh, it wasn't, I mean, the only thing was there was more computer, and uh, yeah. big thing I had was working with uh, the uh, one the schedules uh, when you put them on the cards because that the poor help desk there I had them practically living there on Friday nights. One night I had to do that. Finally told the guy on the help desk I said, "Does your wife know we're meeting like this?" Because Friday night he'd be stuck there until a couple times seven o'clock or seven thirty fighting with. Him. So, but it was really, <clears throat> it was pretty much like the same way. I said, speaking of senators, that though, you know, came in uh, several times while I was back there was McGovern. And uh, he, when he was uh, with FAO in Rome, he'd called in a number of, and he heard, I didn't realize, he said, you're, yeah, somebody told me, he said, I heard you were back there. He told me one time and we got taught, and I didn't know he knew me from when, back when, but and so he was actually a very, very much a gentleman, very nice, but he was in a couple of times, and I said, uh, yeah, got, he and the senator got to be, you know, really good friends after all that stuff, too. What was funny is that Werner Lipford, the law firm he was with, till he switched now to Austin Bird, but, uh, McGuff, I mean, Mitchell was there, too. He had gone there before. But the first time I'd take something to Mitchell's office, I couldn't believe it. Here's Mitchell with the two of the partners and all. They're all, Mitchell's got one person there, basically, that's solely his. And a smaller office and all. And here's Senator Dole with this whole thing. And I thought, oh, boy, I wondered if Mitchell ever... Um, <laughs> he's got a complete staff there. And I guess Mitchell's got one full-time and the other was, I think, only part-time. And then he's in this small office and we had the... I think it was in his, his secretary wasn't even in office. She was kind of out there in the open with one of the other secretaries. And I thought, oh, this is funny. <laughs> but, Great. Uh, oh, any, do you have any? No, I think, I think okay. that's, that's it. How do you? Well, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you no, I was just thinking, I was trying to think about, but I think, think we probably covered it pretty much. And I said, Gave you some extraneous stuff here at the end about the, but that you can, no. you can go over. It, well, you can go, you go over and, and uh, edit it. Right. Yeah. So you can edit out anywhere. But you lived through some pretty exciting times. Yeah. Actually, well, somebody said was saying the other night because I do have high blood pressure now and had carotid artery surgery over here and now it's blocked. They tell me 100 percent and I don't believe it. So, but I said. Uh, my nephew's wife said the other night, you know, stress is really hard on people, actually, and lack of rest. And I said, yeah, I asked the doctor when he found out. I said, well, what caused it? He said, a lot of high stress, lack of sleep and rest and bad diet. I said, hey, I'm batting a thousand. I got it. <laughs> so, and I said, but I, I said, well, somebody said, and my nephew's wife said, well, just think. She said, but it can shorten your life. And I said, well, if I had done really boring jobs, I either would have killed myself or died of boredom probably 40 years ago. So I said, hey, I'd rather do it this way. And I said, 
you, when you're going through it, sometimes you think, but you think back, and I'd rather have had this than so many things. Right. And I look back, and I love children. I have lots of nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews, but I really think of doing that stuff every day never really, 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 you know, I think you're diaphragm now. You, got, you have several kids. You're doing this. And I watch my sister. It's, I'm people. My sister was wonderful. It was seven of them in less than ten years once they got the. And I, I thought, no way. I said, I did their snowsuits that year when Dad was sick. I was thinking when she had the last baby. I said, I did that. Of course, you wore those tight leggings that yet. I said, getting them on twice a day, and I was ready to. <laughs> I'm going to stop this. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought you had stopped. Yeah, I'm just 